Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chicane Crew podcast by F1Toto.ca, your go-to source for F1 news in Canada. I'm your host, Yuri Kagi, and here joining me today is Marcos Rubillo, as we'll discuss and review the RZ by Jan Grand Prix, won by Sergio Perez, his first win for Red Bull, his second win ever in F1. And listen, this is a lot to unpack here, so, I'll, so I will give you the the tough work, the tough job, Marcus. Uh, first, what's going on? And also, what were your thoughts on these last few laps where a, a lot of things happened? Well, your pleasure always uh, to recap the race. And it is definitely tough to find, a, you know, a, a word that fits and could describe the race well. But I, unbelievable is the only word I can think of, right? It's the simplest one, but unbelievable scenes, unbelievable resolve for Red Bull, for Sergio Perez to be right there when all the dust kind of settles. And and we saw so many different storylines through the back of the grid to the front. Unbelievable race. And I mean, and it was a pretty straightforward race after the first pit window, like we talked about. The safety car came in with Lance Stroll, which I'm sure we're going to get into because it kind of set up what had happened with Verstappen. But obviously when Verstappen went off and suffered his tire puncture. All hell broke loose, and we were treated to another classic race. Yeah, it was really something. It was really something else. Uh, you know, we were about to get the first Red Bull one-shoe since Malaysia 2016, so a while ago. And that didn't happen. We got instead the first Red Bull win by a driver not named Max Verstappen since 2018, when Daniel Ricciardo took the victory in in Monaco. And But as great as, as a storyline as that is, with Sergio Perry saying before the season, okay, I need five races to get used to the car, and in his sixth race, he wins the race. Like, that's incredible. But I guess first things first, the two championship rivals scoring no points this weekend, like incredible. And at first it was looking incredible. It was looking awesome to Max, who was extending the lead to 15 points. Then it looked incredibly lucky to Hamilton. And at the end of the day, neither scored points. And Uh, I mean, this race proves how F1, like anything can happen in any given moment. A tire can just blow up. A driver can make a mistake. And the, the two things happened in this race, in, in, in the very last laps. You just never know in Formula One. That's, uh, if you weren't watching the sport already, especially after Drive to Survive, then I honestly don't know what to tell you because this is an amazing sport. There's so much drama. There is nothing better this is better than reality TV. This is reality. And we saw so many things happen again from the back of the grid to the front of the grid. And we have a monumental championship on the line. We have Max Verstappen searching for his first kind of a, a shades to what Fernando Alonso did to dethrone Michael Schumacher. You see the comparisons, similar age, similar different scenarios taking place. You have Lewis Hamilton trying to win a record eighth world championship and you have two teams red bull has, seems to be the clear team that has the better package more consistent package they've made some mistakes 
You saw in Monaco, Mercedes making some mistakes. You saw now Hamilton making some mistakes. And when you have a team that's still fighting right at the top and on any given race, you could say sometimes Mercedes does have the better package. We're going to get drama week in and week out. And DNFs, and we talked about this earlier, are going to make a huge difference when it comes to the championship, a monumental difference. And to have both drivers, you know, first with Max, and he's thinking, wow, I could have extended my championship lead. Now I'm going to go into the next race behind the championship. You have Lewis Hamilton coming on the radio, funny enough, saying it's a marathon, not a sprint, referring to everything that's happened in front of him with Verstappen week by week. And you're thinking, okay, even if he doesn't get by Sergio Perez, if he finishes in second, even without the fastest lap, that's 18 points right there. Boom, he's going to get his own gap. I think it would have been 14, I believe, if my math is correct. Yeah. But again, he makes a mistake. The magic button with the brakes. And we heard that term, I guess, well, for me, kind of around the first time. And and there you saw what happened, right? We had both drivers. And it's great for the fans because, again, we go to the next week, Paul Ricard, in two weeks' time, and we go with the championship still right there. And in a similar scenario of where we were after Monaco, it's unbelievable. It is. And uh, as we are recording this, we don't quite know yet if it was 100% Hamilton's, uh, Hamilton's mistake or something happened with the brake system. Maybe by the time you are listening to this podcast, things are more clear about this. But the, the fact is, like, Max Verstappen clearly upset and we all know and we all understand why and, and how he felt that way as he should, you know, kicking the tire when he left the car, giving us a iconic F1 photo. But looking at things now, of course, he would have preferred to cap the win. That's That's obvious, but... Looking at how things shaped after his retirement, he got the best out of the situation because especially not only talking about the championship situation, but like Lewis Hamilton was looking so depressed, so sad after the race. Uh, we've, we've, we've said this before, it's rare to see him make mistakes, but it's even more rare to see him, to see him get that affected by those and he was like he, he he took a while to leave the car once the race was done he was talking with his team and his his voice was really low and then he he left the car later for the post-race interviews he was looking you know very very sad but not just a sad thing as you know oh i i was i could have done better to no it, it was something different i mean i i think we've seen him in a in a mood that it might be different to jump out of, you know, following you know, in, in the next few races. Yeah, definitely. I keep bringing it up week after week, but it just, it, there's so many similarities or comparisons that you can make to 2016, how Nico Rosberg sort of just chipped away at Lewis Hamilton that whole entire season. And he's referenced that numerous times on the broadcast that with Lewis Hamilton, he will make mistakes from time to time. Everybody will. Nico Rosberg himself had made mistakes. But when he does make the mistakes, you have to capitalize in order to get the edge over him throughout the course of an entire season because you know the next week he's going to come right back. So you kind of got to chip away and continuously push at that weakness that he's showing. Um, and I don't know if that's what Red Bull were doing. 
Um, I think it's a combination of, of a bunch of things. Poor decision-making by Mercedes, obviously, last week in Monaco. Um, and they just didn't have the package to compete with Red Bull. And I think this week it was driver error. And it, again, it's the pressure of the championship going into that first corner. And it's funny enough, again, Lewis said it's a marathon, not a sprint. He stays in P2, rides out the race. Okay, he didn't get maximum points off of max, but it's a marathon, like he said, not a sprint. And to go from 18 points to zero points, to being 14 points ahead, to being four points down or whatever the math, however it works out, that that's going to be costly in the next few races and might define the entire... We could look back at this race as a defining moment of the season, whether we see Lewis rise, still we rise like his motto and come back and fight for the championship or receive Verstappen say, okay, I have this weakness now and let me take it. And I will say one more thing too, which I thought was pretty funny and kind of got my creative juices flowing in terms of like a, a cool movie line story. But, you know, Nico Rosberg was Lewis Hamilton's main rival um, for those three seasons that he had in Mercedes. And you saw the relationship kind of go into turmoil. And just last week or, or a week and a half ago, I believe pictures came out of Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg together in Monaco on a yacht together, spending time. So I thought that was for any Rocky Balboa fans out there, that it was kind of like a Rocky three storyline, you know, where you had Apollo Creed come back and train Rocky against um, Clubber Lang, Mr. T, as everyone knows. And I just thought it was, it, that might be like a cool storyline to kind of maybe have Nico Rosberg kind of not mentor Lewis because Lewis is a seven time world champion, but kind of help him with the mental side. Cause that seems to be what Nico Rosberg kind of exploited from Lewis and understands a lot being Hamilton's teammate and Schumacher's teammate in the past. Yeah, and he beat them too, right? So he he raced with his two goats, let's you know put it that way, and he he beat them both. So that's incredible. And uh, to add to what you said, of seeing them both together as of now, uh, they grew up as friends. So it's just great to see, you know, that the when you race that close to one another, uh, it's bound to happen. But at at time. As times keep going, I, I think it's only fair that they uh, reenact the friendship that they once that they once had. And for fans like us, let's hope in the future we get dogs about it and like interviews and all of that because that that season was incredible. And for the first time since then, Lewis has been under pressure from a from someone who can really take the title away from him. And yeah, like I said, he's being under pressure. This, you know, this mistake um, can possibly add on in the, in the next few races. And let's keep a close eye on this because we are getting close to that part of the season when, uh, when the Mercedes have the edge. But if Lewis is not in, is not in the right mind state, you know, things might not go as good to them as we believe it can. So, yeah, the fight for the championship is amazing. It has been amazing and anything can happen. And this race proves it. Like we, we saw it with both the drivers in this race, but it may happen with one. It may happen with only one. And then suddenly you got the other guy scoring 25 or, or 18, whatever. Right. And just, uh, and just taking off in the in the standing so every race counts and look we had 
six different teams in the top six. So we can go back to Hamilton and Max in a while, but we got Vettel coming second, Gasly, who's always there when, when there is any opportunities in third, claiming another podium. We got uh, Charles Leclerc, Paul Cedar, finishing fourth, Lando Norris, fifth, and Alonso, sixth, his best result so far since he came back this year to F1. And six teams, you know, then we also got Alfa Romeo on 10th. So that leaves only Haas Williams, who are never scoring points, with Mercedes as the only teams who didn't score points this weekend, which is incredible. Uh, there's, there's a lot to say, but which, which of these six, of these five, these six drivers, right? We, because we haven't talked about Paris yet. Uh, which one would you like to go first? Because there are so, so many things to talk about. I think I want to group these. I think if we were even to cut it down, I think grouping Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel together would be would be fitting and, and well-deserving because these are two drivers that have been in the sport for a long time. You have both drivers that have raced at top teams before with Sergio Perez having that brief stint at McLaren. Obviously, Sebastian Vettel is a four-time world champion with Red Bull. We all know what he's done in his career and then went over to Ferrari and obviously wasn't able to reach his dream and win in the red car, just like Michael in his words, not mine. But I think those two drivers and especially Sebastian Vettel, all the stuff that he's had to deal with over the last year and a half, being in a tough Ferrari car, a tough package last season, obviously the car wasn't the best. You had Charles Leclerc that was, you know, kind of getting the most out of the car at certain points, but again, making mistakes. He had a few collisions with Charles Leclerc, but again, that was nothing too crazy. And then to have him go to Aston Martin, fail to score points in the beginning of the season, Monaco gets some points. Now to get on the podium, perfectly managed race, waiting you know, for a potential safety car. It didn't come, but was able to get track position, fresher tires, so they managed the tires, the team as a whole. And for him to finish second, unbelievable. Right away, with my mind, he was the driver of the day, deservedly so, and I'm glad he got it. And Sergio Perez, we always talk about you know, drivers have to be there when, the you know, we talk about Lando Norris, Daniel Ricciardo, Pierre Gasly won a race like that. Carlos Sainz has tried to be there at times and has a couple, you know, P2, P3 finishes in Formula One. You have to be right there when things go wrong for other drivers or when craziness tends to ensue like we see. And Sergio Perez mastered that beautifully. Um, and I know this is Sergio's day. I don't want to bring up past drivers, but you can see why Red Bull made the move. His race pace has been there. His Saturdays are not quite there yet, as Christian Horner said after the race. But his race pace has always been there throughout his entire career, managing the tires. And we saw a phenomenal victory for him. And we talked about that's what the Constructors' Championship is going to come down to. Valtteri Bottas, on the other hand, which I'm sure we'll get into briefly later, wasn't able to score points. Tough weekend for him all around. And Sergio Perez, again, puts Red Bull even further in the Constructors' Championship, which we haven't even talked about. Yeah, Sergio Perez, you know, a great driver. He's been in the grid for 11 years now. As you said, had his chance in a, in a big team with McLaren when they were starting to go down a bit. And it seemed like no matter how consistent and, and good and solid he has been in the middle of the pack, Maybe he wouldn't have that chance again, but Red Bull has been 
struggling with the second driver and they saw the chance and here's why. Um, of course, Max was the one to win the race today, but you know, someone had to be there to, to claim this win and he was the guy and like Hamilton was leading the, the race early on. He started second, he overtook Charles Leclerc pretty early, but he had a slow first pit stop and the two Red Bulls overtook him. And this is what I'm saying, the two Red Bulls, because it used to be just one because the, the other drivers they had there recently weren't doing the job. And yeah, great to see Paris win. I don't think it'll be his first, his only win of the season. And Sebastian Vettel, man, we've, we've been, you know, not hard on him. I mean, we've been real with him in the first four races. You know, you get all this talk about him starting afresh, which was something he really needed. But then the pace is not there. The, the performances are, are not there. And suddenly everything clicks. Back-to-back -back driver of, of the day awards, if you can call it an award. And yeah, fifth place in Monaco, second place in Baku. Uh, first podium ever for Austin Martin. And it's just great to see him there. Another driver that is also improving by the day is returning to time world champion Fernando Alonso, uh, claiming his best result of the season so far with a sixth place. And also moving ahead of teammate Esteban Ocon, who, who couldn't really race today. Uh, he had to retire on, on the fifth lap. But still, you know, we've, we saw three uh, Vettel last race in, in Monaco. He moved ahead of teammate Stroll uh, in the standings. Now Alonso and also Raikkonen, you know, he has one point now. The same with his teammate Antonio Giovinazzi in Alfa Romeo. But he, he, he shows up first in the standings because of the other results. So, yeah, it's just great to see these old guys who are legends still doing it. And to talk about Charles Leclerc, you know, uh, the, is, there's a lot to talk about the race. But Saturday was something as well. You know, Charles Leclerc claiming back-to-back posts under red flags. I mean, how how rare and, and incredible is that? The first time around, his his own accident, which left him unable to race on Sunday in Monaco. But this time, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't have the pace to race for the win, but a fourth place is good enough. Uh, Ferrari has moved past McLaren in the, in the teams, in the constructors championship. And a good race by him, you know, he tried to go for the third place, but Gasly got the third place back in the late restart. And yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on his race and also Landon Norris who had a fairly quiet race, but still he made from P9 to P5, another good race by the British driver. Yeah, starting with Charles Leclerc, his Saturday pace has been there for the last two weeks and it's been there for most of his career. Even Carlos Sainz said at the beginning of the year, Charles is really hard to beat on, on Saturday. During the race, there's some variables that can happen, but his pace on Saturdays has been tremendous throughout his career, especially obviously with Ferrari at a top team. And a, a tough race for him, obviously, a little bit, not being able to compete at the front for very long. Uh, once, you know, the two Red Bulls got, or 
Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton got past Hamilton first, uh, then Verstappen. You kind of you kind of knew that it was uh, that it was going to be tough for him to jump right back into the pack. It looked like maybe he was going to be able to potentially fight Gasly for podium right after the restart there. And again, I think we need to mention Pierre Gasly is, you know, not to jump jump away from Charles Leclerc, but Pierre Gasly again continues to impress. He's been so impressive ever since he's you know been demoted, so to speak, from Red Bull. It's going to be very curious. I think that's the more intriguing um, driver market silly season kind of preemptive story to talk about because with with Williams and Mercedes we know Valtteri Bottas and George Russell are kind of fighting for that seat so to speak even though it's not really been confirmed by any of the team bosses but we know that conversation has always been there where does Pierre Gasly go because it doesn't appear that Red Bull is going to take him back and especially with Sergio Perez if they can keep extracting that out of Sergio Perez for another three, four seasons, who knows what happens in Formula One, but if they can keep getting that out of Sergio, they're obviously going to want to keep him. Max is obviously locked into a bit more of a longer-term deal, so where does that leave Pierre Gazzi? Does he stick around at Alphatari and stay with, um, you know, Red Bull? Does he move on to a different team? You know, Alpine, there's been some maybe suggestions there. Where does Pierre Gasly fit into that? So I think for him to get on the podium again, his third podium since being demoted, it's, un- it's unbelievable what he's been able to accomplish as well. Yeah, and listen, Lando Norris, all right, P5, uh, not his best race of the season, but still a good race, like we've been saying, a good a good result. He shows up in fourth place in the driver's standings. So, yep, like we've, we've been talking about him for the last few episodes, but – Listen, we got Paris winning a race. We got Vettel second, uh, finishing second. We got all these drivers who changed things, getting used to the car. And we see Daniel Ricciardo really struggling to make an, an impression with McLaren. And they are paying the price for it because Ferrari is now third in the driver's championship and they they have a good car it's being proven by Charles Leclerc taking two pole positions in a row even without the red flag talks that we touched on uh briefly so last episode we were talking about it oh how many races we give uh Perez how many races we give Ricardo Perez gave his answer and Ricardo is yet to do it so I ask you, like, since uh, since Ferrari took the third, took P3 in the standings, how how is the pressure now for him to finally show up for his new team? Oh, the pressure is definitely on. And I think rightfully so, we need to start asking questions about Daniel Ricciardo and where he's at with McLaren. Because, you know, not going back too far, but ever since he's left Red Bull, he hasn't really been there. You know, he made the move over to Renault. That backfired tremendously, obviously. He wasn't even able to get too close to a race win. I mean, he got a podium, but or two podiums, was it? And, you know, that's not where he wants to be. He wants to win. He's always talked about the world championship and not getting any younger. A move to Renault didn't do that for him. He moves over to McLaren, an up-and-coming team, a team that you know might be there at the front. They continuously have gotten better under Zach Brown's leadership year after year. And he hasn't even been close to a podium, let alone a race win this year. And again, my I go back to my hot take of him being right there when the dust settles, much like Perez was. Um, and Daniel Ricciardo hasn't even been there for a podium. So it's very concerning. 
And again, questions do need to start being asked about Daniel Ricardo and his move to McLaren. Was it the right fit for him? Yes, 100%. And I think he realized he made that mistake by not going there the first time. But he needs to get up to speed because I don't think it's necessarily anything to do with the McLaren package. I get it that Lando Norris has had that extra that extra season or two to get comfortable with the car. And the car has sort of been not built around him, but sort of built towards his driving style. And he's given a lot of feedback on that. But this is Formula One. And Daniel Ricciardo knows that not anything's going to be, you know, not everything's going to be handed to you and you got to work for it. And he's definitely got to step it up. His back is almost against the wall, so to speak, because if he's not able to consistently score points, and again, not talking podiums, wins, we're talking consistently scoring points because that's what it's going to take to beat Ferrari. Then we could be looking at McLaren taking a little bit of a step back. But we talked about this before the season and even after the first two, three races, week after week, Ferrari's going to be right there with McLaren. And that's going to be a battle to look out for in terms of, of P3. So it's very interesting to see where it goes. And yeah, Daniel Ricciardo definitely needs to, to step up. And this is, might be a couple uh, make or break races for him as we go on to the season. Absolutely. And even Lando Norris himself said recently that he, he he's also still adapting to the car. It's, it's kind of different. He's not 100% comfortable with it. So, yeah, I, I guess this, this excuse doesn't cut it anymore. And Daniel Ricciardo has to start showing up. We also saw Yuki Tsunoda claiming a seventh place, you know, just where he started, but still pretty good. His first point finish since the first race of the season. His best finish so far uh, has been his sixth race in the series and helping his team get the first uh, the first race of the season when, when their two drivers make it to the points, uh, which was enough to claim fifth in the Constructor Championship, moving past Aston Martin. And yeah, just nice to see the young Japanese driver there because he's being criticized by a lot of people, including us, not only for his track performance, but, but for the way he acts. And in this race, we saw that a bit. His, him telling his, his engineer to shut up. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we saw that happen before, but it was on the last few laps when you got to really focus. And that's coming from the likes of Kimi Raikkonen, who has nothing to prove. For a young driver to do that in the beginning of, of the race, it's, it's kind of like weird to see, but yeah, let's just clap for him this time. You know, P7, that's quite good. <laughs> let's hope he, he keeps improving because uh, he's very talented. You know, he, he, he can add something to this grid when it comes to pure pace, to pure, pure talent. Yeah, totally agree. And it was nice to see him score points. I believe that's his first points that he scored since Bahrain in the opening race of the season. We saw a few overtakes. We saw him battling with Alonso, his old nemesis kind of uh, from Bahrain and someone he looked up to as a kid. So it's nice to see Yuki in the points and AlphaTauri scoring good points. Uh, so that's that's someone, a team that, again, we got to look out for in terms of the constructor standings and, and battle. And, you know, you have two drivers and Gasly consistently scoring points. You add Sonoda to the mix. That's a team who can kind of sneak into the middle of the pack and be there again for podiums, which if you're McLaren, you have to be a little bit concerned. I don't think they'll obviously catch McLaren, but they'll catch them in the week in certain races or a race or two. So uh, it's definitely concerning, but in terms of Yuki Tsunoda, yeah, I think he just keep, needs to keep focusing on his on track performance, staying calm in the car and, and we'll see some good results because he, he clearly has talent and can drive. 
It's just, is he ready to consistently prove that week out, week in and week out? Hasn't been the case so far this season, but who knows? Maybe this is going to be the race that kind of catapults him back into that consistent rage where he's able to be in and around the points or consistently score points. Yeah, his team even moved him to Italy to acclimatize him better to the series and the team itself since AlphaTauri is from Italy also. So, yeah, let's see uh, how how that helps his case. And, yeah, that's the top 10 for you. You know, we've also touched on Kimi Raikkonen finishing on 10th, claiming his first point of the season. Uh, two other big narratives that we need to touch on. Uh, let's start with Lance Stroll, big crash. You know, as you said before, uh, the same thing, it was kind of the same thing happened with the leader of the race until that point, Max Verstappen, who had to retire uh, four laps to go, with four laps to go. And yeah, that's the pretty much the same thing that happened with Lance Stroll. He was running before, he was yet to stop. He would maybe finish in, in, in the points. Uh, he was he was looking like he would. And then he's, uh, he suffered a tire failure. Uh, Pirelli is yet to look into it with all the data, taking the, the tire back to the factory, checking it out. It, it may take some days for us to have the, the real understanding of what happened there. But with her stop and scratch, I mean, it, it wasn't quite as, as big. So with Lance Stroll, especially because it took a while for him to come out of the car, for the cameras to get close so we can see him moving at all. You know, it, it didn't look like that insane of a crash, but it was certainly big enough that it got us worried for some seconds. And, and even his father was there at the box, at the pit lane. <laughs> so, yeah, you we can imagine how he was feeling. And, yeah, just a big crash and an unlucky weekend for the Canadian driver who crashed not only Sunday, but also Saturday, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think we're asking a lot of questions about, we're asking a lot of questions about drivers and, and rightfully so, but with Pirelli, that's maybe some questions need to be pointed their way as well. You know, what's going on with, with the tire and the, and the certain different compounds that, that they're using because to have Lance Stroll go off, okay, you might just check it off as, okay, maybe a bit unlucky, caught some debris, it happens, you know, we've seen it before, you know, I, I point back to, I believe it was the British Grand Prix or the Silverstone Grand Prix, one of the two, where you had a few tire punctures and, and things go wrong. Um, but when it comes to, you know, Max Verstappen's crash, you're like, whoa, it's happened twice now. There's got to be some serious questions being asked. And uh, they talked about it a lot in the broadcast. So I'm curious to see where that debrief and what happens you know, in terms of the findings, um, a lot of it is now being pointed as of right now, as of the time we're recording the podcast, being pointed to some debris on the track. Um, and they found a little bit of a puncture on Lewis Hamilton or some um, a little bit of a cut on Lewis Hamilton's tires, but it wasn't enough to um, sever or cause a puncture. So just curious to see what happens with Pirelli. But of course, there's got to be some questions asked with Pirelli because we've seen this happen more often than not. And we don't want to keep talking about tires and compounds and managing the tires to a certain extent because it's been come and it is now part of racing, but you know, it's racing. So um, we still want to see that fine balance between, you know, tire management and the tires and racing in the sport. For sure. It, things like this happens from time to time, but the thing is they shouldn't. And you're, you're right. Uh, we, we need to watch racing, not, 
you know, whoever can cannot retire due to their tires failing. And also it's, uh, it's something that shouldn't happen when it comes to for safety reasons, right? We, we can't have cars just going around because the car, because, because the tires are just not up for, for the challenge. So this is something Pirelli should really have a look at as they will. But another big talking point that, that it gets, in the shadow a little bit because of all the things that happened in the race, but we got to talk about Valtteri Bottas. He started on 10th place. He stood there throughout pretty much the entire race. It looked like he was driving the Alfa Romeo, you know, he wasn't able to overtake anyone like he should when he's driving one of the best cars in the grid. If not the best, then the second best. If you're in 10th place, you should you should overtake a lot of guys and not just sit there for 10, 20, 30 laps. And then it got even worse because when the Lance Stroll safety car restart happened, he lost four places. And I get it. He wasn't with fresh tires and he was losing positions to, to drivers who had fresh tires, but it just adds to what a poor weekend he's had. And also even more than that, like, since we've been talking about the constructor championship being really decided more about the second drivers than the first drivers, because Hamilton and Max tend to cancel each other out when it comes to point. When you got Sergio Perez really getting used to the car, claiming his first victory for the team, and Perez with this level of a performance like so bad. It really makes you wonder because a couple of weeks back we had that rumor. Uh, we had a British tabloid who's who's now looking at in the F1 community as a source of really credible news. So it's something that we didn't really look at uh, when they said the Bottas might get demoted in the middle of, of the season to the to the detriment of George Russell coming in. But what we got out of that whole situation was Toto Wolf, Mercedes team principal, saying that wouldn't happen. But I think it's something that they should start thinking about because, look, clearly Sergio Perez is up for the task. And it seems like Bottas isn't because when the two Mercedes are completely dominant, you can get away with Bottas and his level because there's really no one else on the grid who can catch you so you're bound to win both titles but that's not the case this year so maybe like i know next race bottas can finish third can go to the podium and all of that and it would take a while for russell to set in and all that but it's something to have in mind maybe after two or three races like this, it's better to take the risk and bring the up-and-coming promising talent other than the the old Finnish guy who, I'm sorry, but he, he's just, he shouldn't be driving at this level. Yeah, I think it's... I don't want to jump the gun here, but I think it is the beginning of the end for Valtteri Bottas. I don't see how your Mercedes, and especially if you lose the Constructors' Championship, never mind the Drivers' Championship. If you lose the Constructors' Championship, how could you not say to yourself that perhaps we do need a change? Because I don't think George Russell is the type of driver to get upset. 
Um, he seems very well respected up and down the paddock. Um, I know he had that little thing with Botas, but that was heat of the moment. But in terms of where his head is at, I think he's very calm, poised. He's very smart about, you know, his career. I don't think he's going to react too negatively, but there's only so many times he could be knocking on the door of Total Wolf, his own manager, and say, hey, I'm ready for this challenge. I'm ready for the Mercedes seat. Put me in a top team. I showed you what I can do in Bahrain. And I'm, I've continuously showed you what I can do in a Williams that not even close to a top package and hasn't been for a very, for, for a fair few amount of years. So I think he's right there. Total Wolf said, you know, and I think Valtteri Bottas even said, you know, we don't do that here referring to Red Bulls chopping and changing and switches mid season. But if you're Mercedes, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see them ride the year out, continuously ride the year out. Um, if anything happens, God forbid, you know, we're still kind of living in this COVID area, obviously with the pandemic going on. If Valtteri were to be out for a race, obviously George Russell will be the first guy that kind of jumps in at that opportunity. But I think you just ride the year out and you put George Russell in the seat and kind of see where things stand with Lewis Hamilton. Um, so I think that's where Valtteri Bottas is at. I think it's the beginning of the end, unless something crazy and drastic and so unlikely happens. It's be like winning the lottery. I think that's where we're at with Valtteri Bottas. So, I mean, his confidence has to be shot. So, We'll see what happens the rest of the way, but definitely beginning at the end. I, I, at the end of the day, it might end up happening because you you got Bottas on, on the way out. If it's not this season, it's next season. And if Russell was to come in, he would come in so hungry. And if, if you know, Mercedes' biggest fear about him coming in is, is Russell actually fighting against Lewis, for the driver's championship that wouldn't happen this year after six races because there's no way he could catch up so if he was to come in for this season you you could say to him all right russell we are bringing you in and you are working with us you you are working with lewis and he, he would do it gladly and then next year is a whole other topic where for this season he would be grateful to do it just to have the chance to fight at the top of the grid and not and not at the back of it you know so i i don't think it will happen as of now but red bull is putting the pressure and like this race has to be one of bottas all-time low i mean it was it was really really bad and to talk about the other canadian driver nicholas latif you know quiet race Six, uh, 16th place. The only thing to talk about is his punishment. Uh, he had a 10 second stop and go punishment because he failed to uh, go through the pit lane and not through the main straight after Max Verstappen had crashed. Uh, they asked all the drivers to do that for, for safety reasons. And it, was, it wasn't really his fault. It was his team that, you know, a little bit of a miscommunication there on the team radio. So he, he ended up going through the main ray and had to be punished for that. Didn't alter his final result. He wasn't headed for a points finish anyways. But yeah, that's, that's all we had to talk about as of Nicolas Latifi for this race. Yeah, definitely. It was a difficult race for him and um week to week obviously he's trying to get the most out of Williams but it is tough um and yeah when you're at the back it seems to be ho-hum not a lot of action and, and rightfully so and we saw 
you know, punishment that obviously wasn't his fault. It was his engineer that, you know, made the mistake. And I think the engineer would admit that. Um, and it happens. It's Formula One. But I can't wait for, you know, two weeks time when we're going to see a lot of different storylines come to play. Because like you said, we had six different teams in the top six. Championship fight is still on. It hasn't even changed. Constructors fight. Red Bull takes, you know, grasp of it. Really take control. Sergio Perez right there. Imagine what that's going to do to his confidence, right? So I can't, I can't wait. Yeah, it's fun because Perez said on Friday that he finally understood how to drive the car. And it wasn't only talk. He, he, he proved it on track. We saw it on this race. We won it fair and square. Even though Max uh, had to retire, he was there to claim the race. He, he had to pace either way, you know. If uh, Of course, he wouldn't pass Max, but... If he was driving for another thing, he, with the pace that he was showing, he could have gone for it. That's how, how good he was feeling in the car. And it's funny because uh, Christian Horner said after the, the race that Sergio Perez almost had to retire because he was facing some hydraulics issue. And it was really a little bit of luck that they that he was able to finish. He stopped the car right right after crossing the finish line, and but yeah, imagine that the victory just falling into Vettel's lap. It, it would have been something, but <laughs> you just never know in Formula One. It's a crazy crazy sport. <laughs> Absolutely, and since we touched on Paul Ricard in two weeks, the French Grand Prix. Uh, as we do in at the end of every podcast, we actually missed. We we both missed in the last episode. We we said we didn't say the Paris will win. I I, I even said Bottas. Look at me. So who, who do you think is winning in, in the next race? So it's back to a traditional circuit. I'm leaning towards Mercedes, um, having a much better package. I think we saw them struggle on two street circuits, which might. And now again, we've seen them struggle a little bit in terms of competing with Mercedes. Um, but yeah, I, I think with Lewis Hamilton's back being up against the wall, again, I'm going to say he kind of rebounds and finds his form and wins. I think it's either Hamilton or Verstappen, unless again, something crazy like this happens, which it could. I don't think it's going to be anyone to come out, anyone other than those two drivers, especially with, you know, both of them not scoring points. I think they know what's at stake. Um, and I think Lewis Hamilton will definitely have learned from that and say, okay, you know what, if I'm stuck in P2 and Verstappen's P1, or even if he's out of the race, that's 18 points. I just got to keep collecting as much points as I can, because I know I don't have a car, you know, every single week that's going to top the Red Bull. So I do think Hamilton is going to win it, but I think it's going to be between Verstappen and Hamilton. I'll say Hamilton. If I had right. to <laughs> I don't, again, I don't think it's going to be, uh, I think if Hamilton wasn't to win it, then I think it's for Stappen. I don't think, I, again, it's Formula One and I could be proved wrong. I don't think somebody's going to come out of those two drivers or from the outside of those two drivers and, and claim the checkered flag. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Max or Stappen. I feel like he'll be hungry as ever, you know, after what happened in this race. And Hamilton, uh, he really doesn't like that track. Paul Ricard, he he had I, I think he even compared it to a parking lot in another year. So he, he really is is not a fan and, and, and I'm I might be completely wrong. He, he might put on a, a 
great performance there, but I feel like like is I can't remember when I saw him look so sad after a race and really deteriorated his confidence. I feel like so I'll, I'll say he'll need one or two races to get back to his to to his true self. <laughs> but yeah, both yeah. races could be championship over though. That's why I'm kind of you know I agree there is something there, but. To me, it's it's make or break in these next two races because I didn't even bring this up. I was going to bring this up earlier. We don't know how many races are going to be in this season. You know, we have Singapore now off. Is Turkey still going to happen? There's question marks about Hungary. No Canada. Mexico's still up for debate. U.S. seems to be happening, but are we going to have – it looks like we're going to have a few double headers. It might not be the 23-race season, and we're at six races now. We've just completed six. If you cut out four or five races, you're looking at we're a third of the way through rather than not even getting to a quarter of the way through if we were at 23 races. So I think it, it's make or break time um, week to week in this championship, especially once you get into that European swing that we're now seeing kind of come to life. So I think it's a very definitely an interesting storyline. Paul Ricard is not everyone's favorite track. Um, certainly isn't mine to watch. I mean, it's pretty fun to play on in the virtual world in the video game. I don't mind it, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining, Marcus. And we'll be back in two weeks and in every race of this season. Awesome. Happy to be a part of the crew. And week after week, we keep getting some great races. So I hope that continues. And make sure to like, subscribe, and send this episode and our podcast to a fellow F1 fan. And we'll be back in two weeks to reveal the French Grand Prix here in the Chicane Crew Podcast. Thank you so much.